0: Hello, and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Fur. With me this week is Andy, GopherGuy05. Hello, everybody. And U Street. Hey, y'all. All right, got a fun little show free today. We are going to take a look at uh, softball because softball is awesome. Uh, but also, we're going to dive into some of the questions that uh, y'all uh, gave us on the blog earlier this week. Uh, on a whole variety of topics, but before we get to that, seriously, softball uh, hosting their own regional as the seven seed—is that right,
1: Andy? That is correct. the uh, The Gophers were the national never are not were are the national number seven seed and uh, had, if you go by RPI, the toughest regional by far. And uh, they took care of business this past weekend. Yeah,
0: they went. Uh, they ended up going three and zero. Just tell us a little bit more about how that went down, because essentially, you know, minus some snags with the weather, it was really pretty much a perfect uh, weekend for Minnesota.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and actually in the long run, I think the weather ended up helping uh, the Gophers out quite a bit as well. So, uh, yeah, so the Gophers started out with their first game uh, Friday night against North Dakota State, and uh, actually they looked pretty bad. It was sloppy. Uh, they didn't look great. They uh, they scored three runs, won 3 nothing on a hit spatter, on a sack fly, and on a uh, walk. So the, their, their hitting was not quite uh, up to par in that first game, and, and as we talk about the rest of the regional, you'll see where the, sort of a turning point happened, where they picked up and all of a sudden things got really good for them. But uh, they got the quote-unquote easy win Friday night and did what they needed to do, and came back Saturday afternoon early and played Georgia um, for the first time, and that was pretty much a pitcher's duel Pfizer, uh, Amber Pfizer, and and the Georgia pitcher went back and forth. Georgia got their first hit of the game in the top of the sixth inning, which was also their only run of the game—a solo home run off of Pfizer. Um, and it looked like the Gophers were going to be in a little bit of trouble, but uh, the bottom of the seventh inning, they got a couple hits strung together. Um, McKenna Carp. McKenna Partain got the uh, the RBI single to, to score the run, tie the game at one, send it to extra innings, and then Hope Brander walked it off in the bottom of the eighth with just an absolute bomb off of the uh, indoor football complex in left center uh, to give the Gophers a 2-1 lead and, and get them advanced to the uh, winner's bracket. And uh, then the Reigns came, which uh, postponed everything. Uh, There's supposed to be two more games on Saturday. They only got one in. And then Sunday's games were completely washed out. Um, So Georgia had to play Drake, a couple innings left of Drake, to eliminate them first thing Monday morning. And then the Gophers (laughs) played Georgia again. And it was one of those situations where, um, you know, the Gophers had to win one out of two games to advance. And uh, they took care of business uh, first game just absolutely took it to the Georgia pitching staff. Gophers got three runs in the first inning on a Natalie Den Hartog three-run home run. They added four more in the third with a couple of walks, a couple of hits. Um, You know, the Gophers just the bats exploded and uh, they took an 8-1 win and basically the nice thing about the Reigns delaying the game till Monday is Amber Pfizer got to pitch all three games for the Gophers. Um, You know, there was no stress on her arm. She had basically a, a day of rest in between every single game which was huge for minnesota because uh, while sydney smith is a, is a quality pitcher pfizer by far is is the best pitcher on the staff and letting her throw all three games really gave minnesota a leg up and got them uh, to play another weekend at home coming up this weekend
0: uh so you talked about uh, the big home run from natalie Denhartog. she is now one of the three finalists for ncaa freshman of the year is that correct
1: that's right. That was announced uh, today, Tuesday, when we're recording this. Uh, she was one of the top ten finalists coming into it, and uh, now she, along with the player for Alabama and uh, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, which she Den Hartog did not win, that went to Danielle Williams, pitcher from Northwestern. Um, She's one of the third finalists for the national freshman of the year award, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if the two Big Ten players end up splitting the vote and the Alabama player ends up taking or not, but uh, yeah, Den Hardtog has 59 RBIs, leads the Big Ten, Um, she's, I think, second or third in the Big Ten in home runs, behind her teammate Brander, Hope Brander now is 19 on the season, Den Hardtog has either 17 or 18, I believe, Um, and, and the impressive thing was is she didn't even start the season with the lineup spot the first few games of the year she came off the bench to pinch hit and then she hit two pinch hit home runs in her first five games and suddenly it was like well maybe we should give her a little more playing time and uh, it paid off for the Gophers so um, yeah Den hardog has been hitting the cleanup spot all year and has really been a, a, a major player to step in and take some of the load off of uh, the Gophers loss of uh, Kendall Littleman early last fall
0: all right, so Amber Pfizer, as you mentioned, uh, went three and zero, but her stat line—I was taking a peek at it—looked well, pretty ridiculous for those three games. Even with because uh, the sloppiness in Friday didn't seem to be Pfizer so much as the bats. No, Pfizer
1: was amazing on Friday night. She struck out 12 Friday night, only allowed three hits to North Dakota State. She was on fire. Um, it was just the bats didn't come around. But yeah, Pfizer was amazing all weekend. Ended up throwing 22 innings, only gave up two runs all weekend long. Uh, struck out 27 batters in 22 innings, 10 hits. Uh, Pfizer's been the MVP of this team all year long. I mean, when she's in the circle, Minnesota has a chance. And. Uh, the same thing will happen coming this weekend against LSU. If Minnesota is going to to win two out of three in the Super Regional against LSU this weekend, uh, the bats are going to have to hit number one, but Amber Pfizer is going to have to be the classic Amber Pfizer. She's going to have to just be amazing for Minnesota to get past another tough SEC team.
0: All right, so talking about LSU, um, before you kind of break down exactly what the uh, Tigers look like, What's the format of a super regional? Is it one game on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or how does that work?
1: Yep, super regionals are best of three. So uh, the Gophers and, and LSU will play game one uh, four o'clock on Friday afternoon, and that game will air on ESPN two. Um, and then they play at five o'clock on Saturday, and that game will air on ESPN two. And then if they split. Uh, they'll play Rubber Game Game 3 on Sunday at 3 p.m., and that will be on uh, the Mothership, regular ESPN. And it's, yeah, it's it's best of 3. Each team gets a chance to be the home team in once. Um, so the Gophers will start off Friday night as the home team. They'll be technically the road team on Saturday, and then I believe, I still can't remember whether Minnesota gets the benefit of the top seed of being the home team in Game 3 or whether it's a coin flip to see what happens, but... Um, Either way, the Gophers will have a huge home crowd. It sounds like uh, they already brought in about three hundred <laughs> standing room only seats uh, in the outfield bleachers for the regional this past weekend. It sounds like they're adding even another couple hundred more, hopefully for the super regional against LSU. Um, so it should be a really loud atmosphere at, at James H. Cal Stadium, and hopefully uh, the Gophers can can show up and get the job done. Uh,
0: LSU. I mean, I know they're the number 10 seed. That's about all I know about them right now.
1: Yeah, LSU, uh, they are another great SEC softball team. We know the SEC is the, the best softball team in the conference in the in the country. All 13 of their teams made the NCAA tournament. Um, LSU finished in a three-way tie for second in the regular season with Florida, who is the number five seed, I believe. And, uh, and uh, you know, so LSU, is they're good. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're looking for, for matchups, they went 5-1 against Big Ten teams this season. They beat Iowa twice, which, I mean, Iowa's not very good, so that's easy. Uh, but they did beat Michigan twice. Who at Michigan was the number 15 national seed until they lost uh, twice to James Madison yesterday and, and now are eliminated. Um, and they beat Ohio State and lost to Indiana. Um, the problem with looking at that is the Gophers played Michigan and lost to them, and they swept Iowa. So, you know they didn't play Ohio State or Indiana, so it, it, you can't really look at that too much. But another indication: LSU uh, went three and zero against Georgia this year. Uh, had no problem with the Bulldogs. So LSU is a very very good team. Um, you know they've got they've got some offensive fire, firepower. Aaliyah Andrews is hitting three sixty seven to lead the team. Um, Amanda Sanchez, three sixty four; Savannah Stewart, three sixty four; Shelby Sincere three fifty three. So they've got four players hitting three fifty or higher. Um, Sincere also leads the team with seventeen home runs. And oh, by the way, she's their best pitcher. Uh, she's thirteen and nine this season. Started eighteen games as a two and five ERA. So uh, Shelby Sincere is a name you'll be hearing a lot of this weekend. Um, but they've got another player that has 17 home runs of the season in Shemaya Sanchez. So LSU's got some pop in their bats. Um, Pitching-wise, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They, like Georgia, um, if you read my preview on that on the blog, they sort of had a lot of pitchers who threw a lot. Sunsari started 18 games this season. Maribeth Gorsuch started 20. Shelby Wickersham started 15. So they've spread it out, whereas Amber Pfizer is going to be the number one in the true number one for Minnesota. Pfizer uh, will go Friday. And I think what happens Friday will depend on what happens Saturday. If Minnesota wins Friday night, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go to Sydney Smith on Saturday to at least start and with Pfizer coming in relief. Um, but if the Gophers lose Friday night, I think I'll be absolutely shocked if anybody other than Amber Pfizer is in the circle for games two and three Saturday and Sunday. So, um, like I said earlier... Minnesota's going to depend on Pfizer, she's going to have to be her electric self, she's going to have to be lights out, and uh, the Gophers-Bats are going to have to produce if they want to try and knock off LSU at least twice this weekend and make it to their first ever College World Series next weekend in Oklahoma City.
0: Yeah, so this is big, big time. This is Minnesota's first home Super Regional, first Super Regional they've hosted uh, in the Twin Cities, and as you said, uh, if they win, first College World Series, so excellent. Uh, look for uh, Andy's preview later in the week, and of course be ready to watch it on TV on Friday, Saturday, and hopefully just those two days uh, with Minnesota taking a sweep. So, All right, questions. Questions from uh, the readership, from you, the community members. Um, we're going to start with football, go to basketball, a little hockey, and then we're going to finish up with uh, general slash bourbon. Uh, to close out the, uh, the questions tonight. Uh, question one was, which new coach for 2019 do you think will have the biggest impact on the football team's success? And this was from a mid-march DTF. Uh, Street, I'm going to go to you for to kind of start that one off.
2: I'll cheat a little bit and say that it's Joe Rossi in the sense that he is officially a new coach. He'll obviously I think have the largest amount of impact being that he is on the new defensive coordinator. And while, one hopes it is not possible to be as bad as Rob Smith was. One never knows. Uh, Rossi did well as an interim position, but this will be his first offseason. It's actually completely his defense. He gets to run a lot of different looks. He gets to choose. He gets to do full game planning because he has the interim tag off. He also has a little bit more freedom. I would suspect that he's the most impactful. Otherwise, I think still on the defensive side of the ball, uh, pick your coach. That's where you've had the most turnover. I would say Jim Panagos on the defensive line in particular because one of the things that really does need to happen in the fall for the Govers to be successful is to have a consistent rush from the front four that doesn't entirely rely on Carter Coughlin being very good since he's no longer going to be a regular rush end.
0: All right, so I'm, I'm going to move us to our second question because I think you gave us a good transition. The second question was off of Twitter from at uh, NLabel. Uh, The question was, why was the marked improvement in the D under Rossi not a mirage? Uh, So Andy, I mean, from your perspective, if you were to say, you know, what we saw from Rossi was legit, it's not going to change. Why do you think uh, that's that's true?
1: You know, at least from what I've seen, I think he's just a better communicator. I think he was running schemes that were simpler to run, and he was better at explaining them to the players. Um, you know, from everything we've heard, Rob Smith seemed to make things a little too complicated, and he wasn't really good at just sort of communicating with his players and telling them what to do. Rossi stepped in, and it seemed like everything got simpler, everything got smarter, and everything got flow or smoother to flow. So, um, you know, I-, I think that will continue into... Uh, into this season, and I think, uh, you know, he just has a way to communicate with his players. Um, I'll sort of step on on Street's toes here and jump back to number one real quick. I think Joe Haramiziak is going to make a big difference on this team next fall. Um, you know, when you've got a guy who was a head coach at the FCS level and took his team to the, the Final Four FCS, and he decided to give that all up to become a safeties coach, um... You know he's got he's got the leadership and he's got the voice and I think people will listen to him and I think uh, you know early indications are he's he's making um, a pretty good impact on the Gophers secondary so I think uh, I think we'll be surprised to see uh, what type of role he has in in helping this defense as we get uh, later on this fall but I think Harrisimiyak is going to make a big uh, step for the Gophers D this year.
0: And Label had a kind of a second related question, uh, wondering kind of what our thoughts were as far as why it seemed like outlets were putting us at three-ish conference wins this fall. I'll be honest, I haven't been watching a lot of the previews myself, so I don't know which outlets or how many outlets are actually doing that. But if if someone is a little bit uh, down on the Gophers in terms of uh, Big Ten play this year, uh, what would you say to that?
2: The first thing I would say is that the team should be greatly improved over last year because they are older and have been in offense for another year. The primary concern last year, and it will admittedly still be a concern in the fall, was the youth at the quarterback position, but last year it was there is no experience whatsoever at the quarterback position. Now you have two quarterbacks, Zach Anikstead and Tanner Morgan, who both saw game reps, can have an actual effective quarterback competition. The wide receiver core is going to be excellent this year. Tyler Johnson is an NFL prospect. Rashad Bateman will soon be an NFL prospect. And Chris Ottman bell Demetrius Douglas, as well as the rest of the wide receiving core who didn't see as much action last year are all excellent third and fourth options. So you add that with a offensive line that is going to be improved because, again, they are older, bigger, and it is somewhat unlikely that the left tackle position will be as uh, problematic as it was last year. I think there's a lot of Uh, Benefits to the offensive side of the ball, to being uh, being a really high-powered offense. On the other hand, the reason to be optimistic on the defensive side of the ball is you don't believe that Joe Rossi's tenure in the last couple of weeks of the season was a mirage. If you believe, as I think I sort of do, that that's a similar kind of defense that we're going to see and that it's one that can be taught well to college students and that those athletes can perform successfully, I think you should see 2019 as kind of a breakout season for Minnesota. That should be your optimistic hope your pessimistic hope is the same pessimistic hope that you have every year which is that like hopefully not that many people get injured and they manage to squeak out wins against South Dakota state
1: well I'll just I'll just jump in on that I, I mean I think the I think he was looking at you know 3 wins just at least in the conference schedule and, and and to go along with that is you get the people that don't look at the conference schedule that closely and and frankly for whatever reason you know We're losing the quote-unquote hype game, which is, you know, silly to talk about with with P.J. Fleck, but for example, you know, one of the games I'm sure people are looking at a toss-up is our Big Ten opener at Purdue. Well, people sort of forget that we smoked the living bejesus out of Purdue at TCF Bank Stadium last year, but Jeff Brom and Rondale Moore are the flashy names right now rather than what Minnesota's doing, so if you have somebody who's not paying that close attention, they're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and take Purdue in that game. Um, you know, just going down the list, Illinois, in theory, should be a win, although we stunk it up in Champaign last year. Um, you know, the, the, the next game is Nebraska at home, which people are irlogically going deep, deep down in Nebraska to say that they're going to be one of the, you know, top 15 teams in the country next year. Which, if that happens, fine, whatever, Scott Frost deserves all the accolades he can, but I'll be shocked if they're that good. You know, that's another game that I think is probably a toss-up game, but I guarantee you there isn't a single national prognosticator who's going to give Minnesota the edge in that one. Um, you know, Rutgers, Maryland should beat Rutgers. Maryland, we've lost to him a couple of times, um, you know, so people are probably seeing that and taking that. Penn State, I think, is a potential to be a good game, but again, if you're looking at somebody from a national standpoint, if it's Penn State or Minnesota, who are they going to take just off of the top of their head? They're going to take Penn State, of course. And then you finish with Iowa, Northwestern, Wisconsin, which frankly, all three of those games hopefully will be complete toss-ups this year. Could go either way. Um, But, you know, you've got Northwestern who's coming off of a Big Ten West title. You've got Wisconsin who, even though Minnesota won the axe last year, again, people are always going to give the benefit of the doubt to Wisconsin normally if you're taking a look at that so I think that's why you know you can easily see people saying well Minnesota's only going to win three Big Ten games next year is because they're just not getting any of the benefits of the doubt but uh, you know I think half of those toss-up games Minnesota will have a fairly good shot at and you know hopefully five and four is a, is a more, release, more realistic number for, for let's go for fans at least.
0: All right, Montana Gopher uh, asked a question in the comments. He wants to know a little bit more about the best tailgating at TCF. Uh, I, I'm i going to jump to start this one. I don't, I, you know, from the perspective of the writers of the Daily Gopher, we tend to all be in the same place when we talk about tailgating, and that's the East River Flats. I'll let Andy uh, extol the virtues of why the East River Flats are just awesome. Um you know, we don't have a ton of experience tailgating right around the stadium. I think from the limited amount of tailgating I've done right around the stadium, I can understand why people would like it. Obviously being close to the stadium is a, a real nice thing. Uh, but if I'm honest, it's just parking lot and I kind of enjoy the additional space you get at the East river flats. And so I've never, I've never been, uh, especially bothered by the walk or anything else. So for for me, I would say your best bang for your buck for tailgating is uh, East River Flats, and Andy, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with that.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, the fact that it's a, a $10 single game fee as opposed to having to pay for the entire season is is nice, and um, you know, it's it's easy to get into. Getting out if it's a big crowded game is a, a little less so, but it's not any worse than trying to get off of get out of a lot anywhere close to TCF um but yeah big grassy field instead of a uh asphalt parking lot um there's more room for your games you're down by the river um so the scenery's nicer um you know it, it, it's a nice spot and I, you know we would encourage that to anybody who's looking for simple you know single game parking um you know, it's it's nicer than going over to the fairgrounds, I would say, and it's nicer than going over to the West Bank, although we had a really nice West Bank lot for a while until um, <coughs> parking transportation services went and screwed that all up. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we found the flats after that. We've been pretty happy for the, you know, few games a year we get to tailgate. You know, I think we'd like both like to tailgate more and really dive into it a little bit more, but, uh, you know, for the, for, for the few games a year we do get to blow it out, the, the flats is where to be.
0: Uh, I'll be honest with you, I completely forgot the state fairground parking lots were even an option because why? Why would you ride a bus? Um, little little uh, veteran secret for the East River Flats. Uh, if for any reason you're not feeling like walking up a hill uh, or you just want to take a stop through Kauffman uh, and perhaps hit the bookstore for a, a, a little deal or something on the way to the game, uh, if you walk into the parking garage across the road from the East River Flats, you can actually just take the elevator up uh, and your drunken laziness can be rewarded. So a little, little secret for you um, if you haven't already figured that out. Um, off of Twitter, at Downtown Rivera wants to know, could we foresee TCF Bank Stadium ever being renamed to something else? Uh, the answer is yes. I don't know what they'd rename it to, but whenever the TCF... Uh, Naming rights deal is up. If somebody else ponies up more money, it's no longer TCF Bank Stadium, which is why, you know, I was comfortable with no one ever trying to make the official nickname of the stadium the bank because there's no guarantee that it's always going to be, uh, you know, named after a bank. Um, So, what's, I guess, Street, I'm going to kick it to you real quick. What is the worst. Uh, Twin Cities, Minnesota sponsor you could imagine being placed on the uh, the stadium in the future.
2: Oh gosh, let's see the absolute worst. Probably Joe Sensors, right? Something with a little more
0: money and like the KSIH Stadium, like I don't know, Cargill.
2: Would... I guess Medtronic, given that all their stuff is exploding right now. <laughs>
1: Well, and and, and speaking of exploding, you'll enjoy my segue here. It's don't forget that uh, we almost had a name change already last season when TCF, uh, its parent company, was bought by Chemical Financial out of uh, Detroit. They're still going by the TCF name, but uh, we are very close to, instead of having TCF Bank Stadium, having Chemical Financial Stadium.
0: Oh, God, that's like almost guaranteed rate field bad.
1: Yeah, it's pretty bad, so... Uh, just to chip in here, uh, Blake, Iowa Gopher had a, uh, had a comment on this. He couldn't be with us tonight, but he had a, had a comment on this. Uh, not quite very serious, but uh, he said if he had to pick another Minnesota-based brand, he would endorse Summit Brewing Stadium. But if he had to be a name, he would be okay with Flex Stadium, but only after he had won his third national championship as head coach. Two is not enough. The threshold for naming rights is three. I will make no concessions on that.
0: That seems fair. Uh, All right, so we're going to take a quick break for uh, the always helpful sponsorship moment uh, here on the Sky U podcast. All right, switching to basketball. uh, Northern Gopher asks, which in-state recruit do we think will stay home for the University of Minnesota? I guess... Didn't specify a particular recruiting class year, but Street, do you have somebody that you think is kind of a a lock to, to stay home for the Gophers?
2: Well, I don't know if there's anyone who's a lock. I think it's fair to interpret this question as the upcoming recruiting class. I would say the most likely is Kerwin Walton, both because he will be at a position of need. The Gophers always needs guards. Two, he comes from Hopkins, which is historically perfectly willing to send recruits to the University of Minnesota. And third, he is the lowest rated of all of the major minnesota recruits for this particular cycle the recruit that i would love to stay home and seems to be saying very good things to the extent that you're in the hashtag carrying his creepy world uh, would be dawson garcia because i think at a 611 220 power forward who can play inside outside dribble the ball play great defense is more or less perfect for the university of minnesota's offense and defense under richard patino
0: uh, Sports Avenue is wondering uh, if uh, we feel our expectations of coffee, or we being the fan base's expectations of Amir Coffee, are a little too high at times or in general. Uh, Andy, what do you think about that?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I think I think we know the potentials there. We've. <laughs> The, prob- the problem with Gopher fans is we see the flashes, you know, and he had several games where he flashed, and it's like, well, why can't he consistently do that on a consistent basis? Um, you know, and if he did that, we wouldn't be talking about him potentially coming back for a senior season, because he would be a probable first-round NBA draft pick this year. Um, it's one of the reasons why people want him to go back to college, is he hasn't been consistent enough. Um, you know, and, and you hope that if he could play his senior year for Minnesota, that he'd be able to find that, that spark and uh, and do that on a more regular basis rather than the you know once every three games or so we sort of got um but you know I, I don't think we are necessarily have too high expectations I think we just need to try and and hope that uh you know he lives up to the potential we have for him and uh he does return and and can hopefully uh anchor and uh help
0: uh sports avenue kind of had a, a a grouping of questions i'm going to keep keep on him for his questions for a minute he wants to know do do you feel that uh gopher fans are underselling uh men's basketball uh as a as a team uh, to watch this year street i mean do you think gopher fans are down a little too down on this team or or what are your take what's your take
2: It's May, so it's perfectly reasonable to be down on the team. I imagine people will get overly hyped about them in sort of September, October, and that will immediately come crashing down the second they lose a basketball game. The life cycle of Gopher fandom. (laughs) In the event that Amir Coffee does not come back, I said on the previous podcast last week and will continue to say, I think the expectation for the team should still be an NCAA tournament team. I think they're decidedly a bubble team, next year without coffee were coffee to return i think it should not only be an expectation there in the ncaa tournament it should be an expectation that we're discussing seed order not whether or not they're going to squeak in at the end so in that sense if you don't believe that i suppose you could be underselling it or you could be a little bit more pessimistic about their chances next year on the other hand i think it's hard to undersell a basketball team that still currently does not have a completed roster for next season both in terms of whether or not amir coffee will come back whether or not the gophers will secure any other scholarship athletes for the upcoming season or if they're going to bank a scholarship and then of course during the summer does anyone get injured does everyone have good summer workouts all of those things so it's probably fair to say that you're a little bit down on the team if for no other reason it's still relatively in flux
0: andy what's uh what are your thoughts on that well, I think another reason that
1: I think the fan base isn't as excited and, and, you know, I don't think down on the team is the right way to put this, but I, I think, you know, the way that, that Richard Pitino continues to schedule and things like that is the Gopher fans are a little annoyed that they're not seeing the benefit. Um, you know, for example, Patino was uh, at the the coaches' Caravan event tonight and he's talking about Gopher's tough non-conference schedule next year. The problem is, is unless you're willing to pay extra, or you're willing to be a road warrior, gopher fans aren't going to see any benefits of that. They get to play Oklahoma. Well, that'd be a nice home game, except they're playing it in Sioux Falls at the pentagram again. Um, the return game for Oklahoma State playing them in Sioux Falls or playing them at U.S. Bank Stadium last year, that's going to be in Tulsa. Uh, you know, we played Utah at home last year. We returned the home-and-home home at Utah and Salt Lake City this year. And it sounds like we're going to get games in both the... Obviously, we'll get the game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and it sounds like we're going to get a Gavitt game this year. But knowing the way they work the schedule, probably one of those will be at home and one of those will be on the road. So, you know, we, we're talking about this great, you know, non-conference schedule, but with the exception of one game at Williams Arena, none of them are going to be at Williams Arena. So, you know, the Gophers fans... I, I think that's one of the reasons why they can't get too excited about it is they, they don't get to get geared up for these this you know the high level opponents, and they'll get plenty of the high points and the Omahas and the etc. But I think they'd love to get a couple more of these high level, you know, power five, power six conferences at home on on the barn floor rather than playing them on neutral sites or on the road.
0: I will not sit here and listen to you slander the powerhouse that is High Point. I don't even know what their, their mascot is, but clearly uh, it's a ferocious, ferocious mascot. No. I'm pretty sure it's the Fighting tubbies. Isn't that
1: where Tubby went? <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> yeah, I correct. think you're right. You're right. Um, all right, we're going to switch it up to hockey. Uh, Mid-March DTF has another question. He wants to know, after one year of Matsko, do we feel the Gophers are on an upward, downward, or neutral uh Trajectory.
1: You know, I think we're we're on an upward trajectory. Um, obviously, the Gophers uh, didn't make the NCAA tournament again for the second year in a row last year, but um, you know, I think you think seeing things improving. Uh, Moscow's got a couple of good recruiting classes lined up, um, especially with the defensemen coming in the next couple of years. Um, you know, and, and we've got uh, Ryan Johnson, who's former Gopher Craig Johnson's son, who uh, helped. Sioux Falls to a USHL championship this spring. Um, You know, you've got a couple of other kids who are going to be drafted in the second and third round of the NHL draft this summer. Um, so I think definitely things are on the upswing. Uh, obviously, it'll be a little interesting early in the year since you uh, won't have uh, any collegiate goalie. Well, I guess Jack LaFontaine played for Michigan uh, before transferring out and now will be coming into the Gophers this fall. But uh, otherwise, you're, you're going to start with a transfer goalie and two freshman goalies. So you're not going to have anybody that has a ton of experience in that um, so that will be an adjustment in the fall. But I, I think, you know, I think the Gophers are, are moving in the right track. It still may just take another year or two to, you know, we, we, we said that it takes a year or two to get PJ's guys in here. It gets a year or two to get Patino's guys in here. So I think it'll take a year or two to get Motsko's guys in here. Um, but I think he's got the, the team on the right track, and I think, uh, you know, we'll be back in the NCAA tournament in, in a year or two and uh, should be there hopefully consistently to, to stay after that.
0: All right. So we had a couple of different folks ask uh, some version of this question in multiple formats, uh, wondering what road trips we're taking this year, uh, specifically for football. Um, Street, are you able to make the road at all this year?
2: I am not, though I am more than happy if anyone would like to sponsor me to go on road trips.
0: (laughs) Andy, uh, what do you have? What do you have planned?
1: Well, I'm not the road warrior that you'll be, uh, but I'll be uh, I'll be sitting in TCF for every game, and uh, it looks like the road game I'm going to be able to make the trip to is this year is Purdue. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing a repeat of uh, what we did to, to them at TCF uh, last fall when we go down to West Lafayette.
2: Blake would also like to chime in to say that he will also be attending Purdue and Northwestern in the fall.
0: Well, I didn't realize he was going to go to Purdue actually, so this is extra exciting. So we get uh, we get a little crew down at Purdue uh, for this game, a little little daily Gopher uh, road trip. Um, if you are somebody who's going to be going to Purdue as well, make sure to uh, you know let us know uh, as we get closer to that game, and we'll have to see if maybe we can put together a little road tailgate. Maybe um, everything is really a road game for me because, of course, it is uh, my. Road games that are in Minnesota uh, will be Illinois and Penn State is what it looks like. Uh, And then Wisconsin, uh, always. I almost don't mention it because it's just an automatic. Um, I am also considering going on the road to Iowa. I think that's going to be a real kind of up in the air, just last minute kind of decision probably just based on, you know, cash on hand for a plane ticket. Actually... Now that I think about it, I could probably drive. Hmm. Okay. So probably I'll on the road if I can drive. Um, and yeah, so again, if you're uh, if you're taking road trips to any of these places as we get to the fall, definitely let us know. Um, we're going to close out this week with something near and dear to our heart, bourbon. Um, although I am going to skip street because he's not the one who answers the bourbon questions. Andy, we're going to start. Drysdale had a question are there any bourbons over fifty dollars that are actually worth the price? Well, you'll have to be the more detailed
1: connoisseur on that, because you are you are the uh, you are the purchaser of the more pricier bourbons. I I'd like to go with the, the cheaper bourbons, but uh, in fact, I will I will even slide out of that by saying um, you know I I I don't buy a ton of expensive bourbons, uh, but the one expensive bottle that i do enjoy and i would repeat to buy uh is actually a rye uh and that's angels envy rye uh, i like their rye much more than i like their bourbon um it's finished in in rum casks which gives it a little bit of a, a sweetness on the back end and it um it really 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 is good straight um you know for don't don't mix that one that one's not worth uh, mixing but uh that would be my my call for an expensive one but uh you know my usual sipping bourbons are much more in that twenty five thirty, thirty five dollars bottle range, but I know uh, I know you, Chris are the one that have uh, dabbled into the price of your bottles.
0: <laughs> well, the the bottle I would say right now, if anybody can get their hand on hands on it, uh, would be the Four roses small batch select. It's a brand new release. Uh, they took uh, six of their single barrels and brought them together into a small batch. Uh, but they did not chill filter it. So this uh, small batch is going to have a little more of... Uh, the mouthfeel is just different. It's just a very, very smooth, almost coating, light coating flavor. I That may not that sound good to you for some reason. No, trust me, it's amazing. It's a completely different experience than the regular small batch and honestly one of the more interesting bourbons... Uh, I've had an opportunity to try. The great news is, is at least for me, being able to buy it right now, it's available in Kentucky, uh, California, New York, and at the distillery. Um, They are going to start expanding the the, uh, distribution as the summer goes on. In Kentucky, it's been selling uh, at my local Kroger for $52 a bottle. Uh, And if you can find it for anything like that price, snap it up i would honestly say it's worth going up to 65 70 dollars if you're a big four roses fan um that that's my my current one other bourbons over 50 that are worth the price i'm i'm willing to pay for blanton's it's not the best best uh out there i mean it's really good but it's not it's really not worth what it costs anymore now that it's so hard to get but i i love blanton's i'll always pay for blanton's if i can get a hold of it um definitely if you have a chance to be down at the distillery try to make sure you're there at the beginning of the day any day you go and don't go on a monday um, because mondays they haven't restocked their blantons usually um i mean outside of that over fifty dollars if you ever have a chance to get anything out of the buffalo trace and tea collection just buy it immediately even if you don't like it you can trade it before you open it uh, online to somebody for more money or a different bottle um yeah, I could talk for a long time about bourbons over $50 because I'm a fool who spends money on bourbons over $50. Uh, so yeah, I, as always, the best bourbon is the bourbon you like. Um, and under $50, my last thing will be if you can get a hold of McKenna before it goes absolutely crazy, grab a bottle of McKenna. Um, mckenna just won uh best bourbon in the world at san francisco spirits it was that means it was uh across all the judging it was a double gold uh uh, and then it continued to beat other whiskeys all the way uh, along the way there so mckenna is going to be real hard to get and start getting really pricey um, but right now you can see it for somewhere between 36 and 42 43 bucks um, if it's still on the shelf at your local store so uh, and with that, I think we have uh, kind of got, got a full podcast. And we really appreciate everyone who submitted questions. If we didn't answer your question, uh, don't assume that we won't. Uh, we're trying to parcel them out and, and take advantage of, of the feedback we've gotten. If you have new questions, um, we're going to give you opportunities to continue to, to submit those as we go into the summer. And look forward to some theme podcasts around a certain theme uh, as we continue. So, again, thanks for listening to the Sky U Podcast. Go Gophers, Skyuma, row the boat.